1077 The Franchise is your flagship for Oklahoma sports. So we decided to launch a podcast with the very best names in Oklahoma sports media to cover it. When they said no, we called in some interns. Thank goodness John changed his mind before we did something stupid. This is Inside OU with John Hoover on the Franchise Podcast Network. A 20 ounce cop. Triple, triple shot. John Hoover just letting it, letting it go. Been, you've been in Atlanta for two days, already letting it go. I'm swinging for the fences. This is a baseball town. Yeah, yeah. I mean, tell me, what's the, uh, what is the weather like in Atlanta? Is it humid as hell, or is it actually kind of chilly? No. That's winter. You know, it's like 58 degrees, something like that. It's perfect. It's John Hoover weather is what it is. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, boy. John, I don't know about you. Like, obviously, I hate complaining to you about this because, and by the way, this is the Inside OU Podcast. Hi, everybody. We're back after a week off. But, man, that week felt like, if you're right, it felt, it feels like it's been weeks since we talked on this podcast. It's been forever. Yeah, yeah, uh, before Christmas, right? Yeah, before Christmas, BC. Like, December is such a... It's a weird month. It's so weird. And it, and it, fo- it follows on the tail end of a, of, a, of a regimented college football season where every Sunday you do the same thing you did last Sunday, and every Monday you do the same thing you did last Monday, and every Tuesday you do on and on and on. And then you get to December, and it's like championship game. Okay, now the players are off for a week. Then they got finals. Then they got ho- holidays. Then you got to travel to a bowl. Then you got New Year's. Then you got Christmas. It's like, wait a minute, what day of the week is this? Yeah. No, it's been in addition to like the holidays and Christmas and everything you have to do with family and friends, all the obligations, which are fine, but a lot of that still means that you have to go somewhere for an extended period of time on top of, well, I've got to go to work at this time. And so like, it's, it's supposed to be like a stress-free kind of, you know, 24, 48 hours yet. It still feels like, no, you still have stuff to do in this business. And, um, fortunately, and I say fortunately, because I appreciate all the opportunities that I'm able to get at the franchise. Um, one of those opportunities arose this week, Andrew Gilman, um, from the morning show is on vacation. So I was able to fill in for him with Mike Steely and Jesse Stone and Eddie Radosvich whenever he was able to join us when he wasn't busy down there in Atlanta doing OU Beat stuff. Um, I love that show. It was fun to do it Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and I'm doing pregame tomorrow morning on the franchise from 7 to 9 with them. But my goodness, John, covering a Thunder game, (laughs) you know, until about midnight or 1 in the morning and then having to wake up at 4.30 to go back to the studio for a 5.30 show... I haven't slept. I've slept maybe six, seven hours total this week. <laughs> Good thing you're young, not an old guy like me. I mean, I, I'm technically young, I guess, for another 10 months, and then I'm 30. <laughs> and then you're no longer young at 30, right? It's over. It's all downhill from there, so I, they say. I mean, every t- like I look at it kind of the same way I look at NBA players. The second they hit 30 and they've got three or four years left on their mega contracts, it's like, nope, they're washed now. Overpaid. Overpaid Russell Westbrook. Overpaid Chris Paul. Elderly Chris Paul. Russell they're- Westbrook is a 30-year-old with the knees of a 50-year-old, I think. Or knee. Maybe that would be a better way of saying it. The PRP knee of a 50-year-old. Oh, yeah. As soon as that wears off after the six, seven months that it affects yeah. your body it's like can he even walk <laughs> bless his heart but let's 
half-ass segue back into the Peach Bowl, John. Uh, last time we talked, we uh, praised Matt Rule, we hated on Art Bryles, and we praised Oklahoma for winning their fifth straight Big 12 championship. And now we've got a war of, not even a war of words, we've just got, we've got two teams in Atlanta. One of them is led by a coach and a quarterback that have been here before. Now, they haven't won any of these games except for Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts has been to two national title games. He's won one of them as a starter. He was pulled in that game. Uh, Lincoln Riley and the Oklahoma Sooners have been here a handful of times, have yet to win their first semifinal playoff game, but they still have the experience. And then on the other side, John, you've got an LSU squad who is very, very good. They are number one for a reason, and they are deservingly number one, in my opinion. I would put them at number one over Ohio State, even though there was that controversy over the last few weeks as to who was actually number one out of those two teams. But, man, what f- some of the things that they've been saying, I'll just say this. I, we're, pre-game words do not w- win or lose you games. I don't really put that much stock into bulletin board material. But if OU was saying stuff like this, I would be just who the hell is leading this team right now? I would be asking that question. Yeah, I think Ed Orgeron doesn't discourage his guys from speaking their mind. It kind of reminds me a little bit, I hate to bring up old bad memories, but it reminds me a little bit of, of what you would have said, you know, about Pete Carroll and, and the way he ran the ship. And you remember, of course, Ed Orgeron coached under Pete Carroll yep. uh, in 2004 and, um, you know, that USC team had a heck of a lot of talent, like Hall of Fame, future NFL talent. This, uh, this LSU team has some of that talent, probably not to the volume that that team did. But they, they talked the talk that that Trojan team did. And then they went out every Saturday and they walked the walk. Um, this LSU team is 13-0. and 0, And they come into this college football playoff talking the talk against Oklahoma, you know, about – some of them have stiff hips and some of their DBs look slow and CD lambs outstanding, but some of those other guys really aren't uh, offensive line is, is uh, not great. Running backs are not great. I mean, you see, I just got done reading the entire transcript from media day yesterday and you see one comment after another, and then you flip it over to read the OU comments and, and the guys are saying, they said, what? Hmm. Oh, okay. Well, I, we were told not to say anything, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I mean, one coach is saying, I don't care what y'all say. Go ahead and say it. Go Tigers. And the other coach is saying, if you guys say one word, I'm going to run you to death come winter. <laughs> and and I, I think that's interesting. I think that's an interesting dichotomy of, of how you approach a playoff game. I mean, yeah, no question. I mean, I get both sides because either side works. Because whoever wins this game, John, if OU somehow beats LSU, it's going to be because, oh, LSU didn't take them seriously. If they had taken them seriously, John, then they would have easily crushed Oklahoma, just like Alabama in the Sugar Bowl a few years ago when Trevor Knight went and went Joe Montana on their ass. Uh, Alabama did not take them seriously. Therefore, OU won. Now, if LSU wins, it's going to be kind of what we look how we look back at that Orange Bowl that you mentioned. USC, Lucy Goosey, free just free living who cares let's all have fun you know we came down here to play a football game but let's have fun we're in south beach and they played loose and oh you played incredibly tight and how do i know that not just because of the score but because the first mistake they made they snowballed mm-hmm. and you know that's something that we've kind of talked about this season uh, in other words john and you know 
if you look at all those bullet point quotes from LSU, everything that you just said that their players had said about OU, those are all things that we have said as well on this podcast about this team. The offensive line isn't great. The running backs, Kennedy Brooks is a good back, but he's not great. He's not a great OU running back. Um, the He's on a short list of running backs who have exceeded 1,000 uh, yards twice in their careers. Is he better than Samaj P. Ryan? No. Is he better than Joe Mixon? No. Is he better than DeMarco Murray? No. Now, it's a very high standard. I'm just saying he's not in that level of... No, those you're right. are he's great. Not, he's not elites. Absolutely yeah, those right. Those are great. So... I can kind of get, I can kind of see where he's coming from with that comment, even though it's probably a little off base. Um, the receivers, out, CD Lamb, yes, outstanding, but there have been times where Charleston Rambo hasn't shown up. There have been times where um, you won't see Lee Morris or Nick Basquin register a catch, even though the previous game they have five catches. And then in the secondary, there's two really fast guys, and then there are a few guys with with some tight hips. Um, <laughs> nothing, nothing that they that he said. So you're calling it. Nothing that he said was completely and utterly wrong, in my opinion. Right. That's but, correct. But again... The offensive line has been under the microscope in Oklahoma all year long. Yes, and has been op- under fire all year long. And for, for the opponent to say what the media has been saying for four months is shocking. It's, it's not wrong. You know, I'm not sitting here saying, Oklahoma's going to show that kid. Oklahoma's going to stick it in their face. You know, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. No, it's, it's he's he's absolutely not wrong. It's like the to Ste- say it. It's the Stephen the A. Smith clip. <laughs> it's the Stephen A. Smith clip from uh, first take. I mean, let's be nice. Let's be. I mean, you're not wrong, but you don't yeah. gotta say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you know, and even going back to that factor um, that I guess somewhat played into the '04 Orange Bowl, and now we've brought up the Orange Bowl from 2004, 2005, three times. It was now. a topic at the press conference today. So go ahead. Okay. Well. um, because like I said, the the first instance that that OU squad that went in there with like a complete and utter business-like mentality, at least from the comments, outside of Larry Burdine opening, opening up his dumbass mouth about Matt Leinart, <laughs> um, I'm still angry about that. The first mistake they made when Mark Bradley touched the, touched the ball on that punt, USC scored uh, to tie the game up seven, but it was, it was over from there. This OU squad, though, John... And I talked about it on the morning show a handful of times this week um, with Jalen Hurts. Because it's always going to be about Jalen Hurts. Like, how many turnovers does he have? If he doesn't have any turnovers, maybe that's the recipe for OU success in the Peach Bowl. But even still, if you go back and just look at everything that he's done this season, he'll make random-ass mistakes, John. But it rarely, rarely snowballs. Now, does he... I mean, I don't know... Like, the TCU game was bad. That was probably the closest it got to a snowball effect with him because those turnovers were just so bad. He threw that um, interception in the red zone. Then he had a 50-yard run going into the red zone and then just poor ball security. So that was about as close as you get to a snowball effect. But with Jalen Hurts and this OU team, they've been in so many tight situations. They've been they've been in so much adversity this year where they could have easily allowed things to snowball, and they could have had three or four losses you know, easy. But they didn't. So I at least have the confidence that this OU team is not going to go in with this utter machine-like mentality. And the first mistake, if Joe Burrow throws a 60-yard touchdown pass, this team's not going to hang their head at least. I have at least confidence that that can happen. Oh Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, Jalen Hurts learns from his mistakes, and he doesn't get buried by them. 
he grows from them within a within the span of a game or a possession even. So he's a very mature guy for for being a, a fourth year senior. He's he's a guy who's been through some some of the best SEC battles there are. Uh, he knows about rivalries. He knows about big games. He knows about big moments and the big stage. He knows about this stadium. He knows about this team. He's th- what three and zero against uh, against LSU and five and zero in Mercedes Benz Stadium. Um, so yeah, it's it's very. I would not expect him to wither at any point in this game. I would not expect him, even if he has a critical error that p- puts up points on the board or something like that. I, I don't think he will, he's one that's going to, you know, shy away uh, and become a, a quarterback wallflower. I think he's going to, the what gets him into trouble. And I think I, we talked about this on the morning show today is that he sometimes tries to do too much. He sometimes has a little bit too much bravado, too much confidence in his accuracy or his arm strength or his legs or whatever it is. And that's what gets him in trouble. If he can play within the system, if he can avoid turnovers, number one, play within the system, uh, hit receivers when they're open, throw it away when they're not, take care of the football, uh, and, and be aware in the pocket. Don't let yourself get James lynched again in the pocket. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a bad one when he blindsided him and knocked the ball out and it ended up nearly being a scoop and score. If he can avoid stuff like that, just have a little bit better pocket presence. And it's not going to be easy against LSU, but if if he can accomplish all those things, I really think Oklahoma has a 50-50 chance of winning this game. Yeah, and that kind of gets me into, I, I think, the most important critical point of this game. And it's easy to say it has to be the secondary, right? Because they're going up against the best quarterback that they faced all year in Joe Burrow. The, probably the only quarterback that can consistently stretch the field and make all the throws that they've played all season long. Yeah. That's true. I really still think that the offensive line is the most critical point for OU this uh, this game. If they can give and allow Jalen Hurts a clean pocket where he can at least try to stretch the field. Because if, if you give Jalen Hurts time and he's not feeling any pressure whatsoever, he is accurate enough that he can hit an op- a guy open. Has he missed some throws downfield in the last month and a half? Yes. But this offensive line has been so shaky and so inconsistent that I can kind of understand why a guy might... Uh, might release the ball a little, like a split second quicker than he might want to, and it just ruins rhythm. So if the offensive line can not only open up holes for Jalen Hurts running the football, Kennedy Brooks running the football, and maybe T.J. Pledger for a handful of carries, m- mainly I just I need to see this offensive line hold their blocks and not get beat by just simple ass speed rushes. John, just like you said with James Lynch, you can't get beat by simple speed rushes if you give Jalen Hurts time, so that OU can at least open up the playbook a little bit. I think it gives them more than a good chance to win this game because I've seen, and we talked about this actually earlier today on the morning show, John, everybody is falling into that comfortable philosophy of, oh, he's just going to run the ball, clock management, keep Joe Burrow on the sideline. And I get that. That's a comfortable, safe place to be in mentally. But if OU wants to win this game, they need to stretch the field. Mm -hmm. Absolutely need to stretch the field. And I think that comes down to the offensive line more than anything. You sound like you've been listening to the uh, Locked On Sooners, Locked On LSU podcast with uh, John Hoover and Matt Moscona today. We did a crossover, and I was saying that uh, Oklahoma's best chance is to to get to run about 60 plays of offense and hold the ball for 36 minutes and keep the score around the 30 mark, you know, 30, 31, 28, something like that. And Matt said, Matt Moscona, he covers LSU. He lives in Baton Rouge. He hosts the radio show there every day. He said, 
I think Oklahoma's best chance is to play is to go blow for blow with with uh, with LSU. LSU is going to score on three play drives, and they're going to score on you know f- uh, one play drive. Uh, you know they're going to get down the field. It's going to be sixty yard passes, and there's going to be big plays. He said he thinks Oklahoma's best chance is to counter that and try to get the game in the forties because. Uh, you know, if you if you can score on LSU and take the scoreboard to the 40s, all of a sudden, then maybe you've got a puncher's chance of getting a stop or a missed field goal or some some crucial possession happens in the final minutes where, uh, you know, that maybe swings the momentum of the game or gives you one more possession uh, to march down the field and try to get a ga- some game winning points. If you're if you're close at the end. Um, uh, and I, I'm, the, the more I, the more I listened to that, the more I heard, uh, the more I heard Matt talk about it and the more I hear you talk about it, the more I'm starting to think that maybe trying to outscore LSU might be their best chance because they're equipped offensively. Oklahoma is equipped to score with the, the best offense in the country. It's, it's number one and number two for a reason offensively in the, in the nation. So I think these guys might have a chance to actually do that. And as you said, that might be their best chance to win the game. Yeah, and and look, OU is already at a disadvantage with the suspensions. I mean, Ronnie Perkins, that's going to hurt. No Ramondre Stevenson, in my opinion, I think that's going to hurt worse. I think Ramondre Stevenson would have been so good in this game. OU really needs that type of breakaway ability, that type of just extra twitchy, agile, especially down like in the line of scrimmage where the hole that you're supposed to be running through isn't there so go make a play Kennedy Brooks is just going to run into a brick wall whereas Ramondre Stevenson at least has the ability to bounce it out a little bit outside with his uh athleticism so I like I'm going to miss Ramondre Stevenson but I think we need to understand the importance of Clyde Edwards Hilaire and I've watched four LSU games this week and my goodness like people make the Quentin Griffin comparison because he's smaller and he wears number 22 I get that but Really what it reminds me of, like the loss of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of this offense, it reminds me, John, of losing DeMarco Murray for the Orange Bowl against Florida. Mm -hmm. And if you remember that game, like the whole, the weeks leading up to that game was, okay, Percy Harvin is out, DeMarco Murray is out, that's a wash, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Florida got their DeMarco Murray back. Percy Harvin won Florida that game. It had really nothing to do with Tim Tebow. It was all (laughs) Percy Harvin. And OU didn't have their versatile do-it-all, catch-it-out-of-the-backfield, playmaking running back that helped that no-huddle offense go. They had the ball down in the red zone twice, and they came up with no points, and they lose by 10 points. Having Losing a guy like that, John, is so important. It's so He is so important to LSU's offense and what they do, and if OU is able to cover for the first second or two of the play and dial up some type of pressure, and with their front seven, yes, losing Ronnie Perkins is going to hurt, but with their front seven, what we've seen out of them all season long, you've got you've to at least believe they can dial up some pressure at some points during the game. If the secondary can do their job and pressure starts to come, Burrow doesn't have that reliable guy that can you can check down to and that can make a play and make a, uh, a make a tackle miss or two in the open field and turn a potentially disastrous or negative play into a big gainer. Yeah, Clyde Edwards Ilair, I think is how you say it. Ilair is uh, two, uh, he's got 200 carries on the season, 197 carries. He averages six and a half yards a carry, 99 yards per game. Their second leading rusher is their Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback. They've got two freshmen, Teron Davis, Tyrion Davis-Price and uh, John Emery Jr., two freshmen who have combined to carry the football 
for 96 times this year. 96 times, and they're averaging just under five yards a carry. Sounds like a one-sided team. Those guys have been very average, very ordinary, very, you know, they're young, they're inexperienced, they're not as good as uh, Clyde is, so he's been dominating the carries. He's been producing in the running game. And not only that, but he's got 50 catches this year. He's third on the team with 50 catches. A running back in college with 50 catches is just remarkable. That's a I don't know what the uh, what the all-time numbers are for such a thing, but I remember when uh, gosh, Billy Sims caught 50 passes as a rookie in the NFL and Eric Dickerson one year caught 50 passes. People made big big deal out of that. Now, of course, football's changed and you see running backs get up around 100 catches sometimes, but point is, in college those numbers don't explode like that. This guy is unbelievably productive. He's averaging 120, 130 yards a game total offense, all-purpose yards. And to lose that and then to turn it over to two freshmen who basically haven't played much all year, you're not turning it over to 1,000-yard rusher Chris Brown like Oklahoma did in 2008 against Florida. Yep. You know, you're turning it over to two guys who really haven't done much this year. So I think you're right. I think that will absolutely impact what we see. And it, what it's going to do is just make LSU even more one-dimensional than they, than they already were. And if, if Clyde Edwards there doesn't play – uh, Matt Moscona again from LSU lives in Baton Rouge does the daily radio show he said he thinks that he's not going to play Ed Orgeron said he has begun running this week but he still hasn't practiced so you can pretty much count on it he's not going to play and if he does he's not going to be very explosive he's not going to be a, a big factor in the game if that happens I think we're going to see a, a little bit of a diminishment in this number one offense in the country I think we're going to see um, Joe Burrow trying maybe to push the ball down the field a little more often to Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and Thaddeus Moss and Terrace Marshall and guys like that. And you see, and that plays into pass rush because what you just described, those types of plays, they take a little bit longer to develop. So it allows guys like Jalen Redman and uh, d- did I see this? Am I wrong? Is Stokes lining up as the opposite end of Jalen Redman now? Yes, that is correct. Okay. And that's that's what we thought was going to happen. Yeah. That's exactly, you know, Redmond is going to basically take, instead of turning it over to Marcus Stripling, a true freshman, and keeping those other two guys at their spot that they've rotated in and out all year, they're just going to split those two guys up because they're the most experienced, most impactful guys. Uh, Redmond's going to take Perkins' spot, and Laurent Stokes is going to stay over at the, the uh, defensive tackle spot slash defensive end slash whatever, and uh, they'll fill in both sides as necessary yeah and look I don't want to compare the Texas offense to LSU's because obviously Joe Burrow is worlds better than Sam Ellinger and LSU's skill position guys are worlds better than Texas's but like I see it I see it in the same way like what was Texas trying to do like they couldn't run the ball because they had a backup quarterback as their running back Mm -hmm. and Sam Ellinger was he, he had nowhere to go, so they had to dial up plays that took a few seconds to develop, and it allowed OU's defense and their front seven to create so much havoc. And when you when you can allow your athletes and your front seven to basically, you don't have to just drop back every play and play in a zone, go be aggressive, go after the ball carrier, find find your hole, run right through it. It allows them to play to their capability to the capability of what they. I mean, I don't know. It allows them to play to their athletic capability is what I'm trying to say. Um, and to me, like, I, this is what I hate about bowl games. And I talked about it a few weeks ago with you, John. 
I don't really have my hopes up the the day that the bowl is announced, and then we go through the same song and dance of like one week down, one week down, and we get closer and closer to it, and then I start talking myself into ways that OU can win. But again, not having their running back, and OU being a very consistently good pass-rushing team this season in the Big 12, I mean, it does give me a little bit of hope. And I don't know if it's completely unfounded. I don't know if it's just me being a homer, but... I, I can't help but think about if LSU has to keep on throwing plays out there that take time to develop, OU's going to get home, uh, you know, their fair share of times. Yeah, and and I don't know how much of a homer you're being. Uh, I, I thought Oklahoma probably should have beaten Georgia, um, and I thought at the time that Oklahoma was going to beat Georgia. I thought they had a puncher's chance last year with that offense, Kyler Murray and that offense against Alabama. This year um, – we were talking about it last night. What chance do you get? What percentage chance do you give Oklahoma? And one one of us uh, down in the media hospitality room said ten percent. Another one said fifteen. I said, I think I'm going to go thirty. I think I'm going to go thirty. But the more I look at it, the more I, you know, yeah, it's going to be tough without Delaire and Turner Yell and Ronnie Perkins on defense and Ramondre Stevenson on offense. Uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough. But uh, I think I'll, I think I might bump that up to 35% now. The more I look oh at it, the more I break down the numbers, the more I break down the personal matchups. I think it's very possible. Yeah. Cause it's going to come down to one of two things. Like we're going to learn something tomorrow, obviously. I mean, obviously we're going to learn who the better team is, but really we're going to see was LSU just, they went through a gauntlet of a schedule, you know, beating mm-hmm. Alabama and Tuscaloosa. Tuscaloosa and I know Texas didn't become a good team they were an average team and probably even a bad team you might you could probably get away with saying but at the beginning of the year teams are different teams are more healthy obviously than they are in October November and December Um, beating Texas on the road that's a good win I'm going to give LSU that credit um, because LSU beat them and somewhat derailed Texas season OU took Texas's soul for the rest of the year when they beat them in the Cotton Bowl but um you know, beating Auburn, beating Florida, um, beating Georgia—you know—that is a gauntlet of a schedule. But you look at you look at some of those games, and I mean, how good is Georgia? We we don't—I don't really know if we have an idea of how good they are because they're talented. Yeah. Um, this is kind of one of the reasons why I hate this playoff schedule because I would love to see—I don't know—the Georgia Baylor Sugar Bowl before or watching this game or the Cotton Bowl or whatever game they're playing mm-hmm. in the Sugar Bowl. Um, I would like to see just some of these bowl matchups play out because I honestly don't know if LSU is one of the best teams that we've ever seen or if they are just an SEC team that figured out the forward pass and took advantage of an Alabama team that had uh, a ton of injury on the defensive side of the football and Tua Tungaviola going through some injuries before ultimately losing out on the season with the hip injury and then playing a bunch of one-dimensional boring offenses in Florida, Auburn, and Georgia, and just taking advantage of the committee, highly ranking them, while OU's over here beating teams that you and I know that are well-coached and good teams, like Iowa State, um, TCU, Kansas State. Uh, We know that those teams are well-coached, but they're never going to get the benefit of the doubt in terms of being highly ranked. So, you know, OU's over here pussyfooting around, and LSU's in the SEC just getting all this glory, like we're going to learn just how far away either the SEC is over the Big 12 still is, or if, hey, 
all that stuff, you know, all those awards that LSU won, OU fans know exactly how you feel because how many times have we gone through a season where OU sweeps all their awards and then they just throw out a stinker in their bowl game? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's entirely on the table. Absolutely. Uh, miss out on the Joe Moore, miss out on the Bolitnikoff, miss out on not even have a contender for the Thorpe or the Outland or anything like that. Don't get a sniff, really, a fair sniff at the uh, Butkus. And then, of course, the Heisman and the Maxwell and all the National Quarterback Awards and Player of the Year Awards, they all go to one team, it seems, right? And and uh, those, the guys who finish runner-up or f- at least feel left out, they're standing there going, okay, that's fine. Enjoy your awards. We'll meet you on the field. That's an interesting dynamic to me for this game because we, we've seen it work the other way. And like you said, it doesn't always go it, – it doesn't go Oklahoma's way very frequently. It hasn't in the playoff yet, so – I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to think that, uh, you know, LSU is going to approach the game with a little more team oriented pride than to just say, ah, we won all the awards. We're so great. But I'm telling you, going back to the beginning of our conversation, listening to the way those guys talked honestly, but still talked down to on, on the Sooners yesterday. I think that that's something that might come into play. Those guys are really feeling confident and it just means more. In the SEC, okay, you just get more awards and you just get more wins and you just get more trophies and you, you know, I, I'm eager to see how it plays out on the field. If if you know Oklahoma with their lineup, their talent, you know, man for man, you're matching across the line of scrimmage from your guy and you're trying to win your one-on-one matchup. I'm not willing to say Oklahoma is going to get just thumped in every one-on-one matchup. Yeah. And, and I'm, I think I'm starting to come off as, as a little bit of a homer, uh, and I hope that's not the case. I'm trying to look at it as objectively and pragmatically as I can. Like, for instance, I think Kenneth Murray uh, is going to win most of his matchups. I think Neville Gallimore is going to win most, if not all, of his matchups. Um, I think Stokes and Redmond are going to win a good percentage of their individual matchups. And then you get into the secondary, and I think – Parnell Motley and Trey Brown are really going to have their hands full, like, like trying to stop the ocean. You know, you're standing on the beach and you're like, I can, I can keep it from coming ashore. And here come all those receivers. That's going to be the hard part, especially without Turner Yell back there. Um, and then offensively, you could say the same thing. You know, Creed Humphrey's going to win his matchup. Um, I wouldn't put too much stock on the left tackle or the right tackle, but I think if they play as a group, the offensive line is going to ha- is going to be able to win. Uh, a good percentage of its matchups, they're going to lose some because they've got some LSU's got some beasts uh, at both at linebacker and at defensive end. Um, but then when you start throwing the football around, Jalen Hurts is going to have some opportunities for success. If they don't bracket CD Lamb, if they get cocky and choose to in- sing- single cover CD Lamb, he's going to win a lot of matchups, and and that's a bad thing for LSU. So I'm just saying across the board, I think Oklahoma is going to win its fair share of plays and matchups and. Uh, one-on-ones, and and then you're getting into you know who who's going to make plays in crunch time. No, I think it's so difficult to kind of prognosticate this game from an OU perspective, John, because of history. I mean, we go into the Orange Bowl last year with uh, offense led by Kyler Murray, one of the best in college football history, and you go up against Alabama, a very, very, very good Alabama team. They didn't win the national title, yes, but they were still so damn good. And it was 28 to nothing before you could blink. And now you transfer this over to now, and it's like, yeah, 
There's no Kyler Murray, but Jalen Hurts is still, he's a good enough quarterback to win you a national championship. I still stand by that. This offense is technically, statistically, the second best offense in the country, just a, you know, a, what, a tenth of a yard behind LSU. LSU's defense is not as good as Alabama's defense was last year. They don't have a Quinn and Williams. They don't have any of those guys just yet. They have them now, but they're not going to be Alabama standard until next year or two years from now in terms of their NFL prospects. So when you think about all that, it just you come away with, you know what, OU's got a much better chance than they did last year. And like you said, you gave them a puncher's chance in the Orange Bowl last year, so it kind of equates to, man, this could be a toss-up, but then you kind of go back to, no, it's not a toss-up. It's so hard to like really get a feel for this game. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and and LSU deserves all the credit, like you said earlier, for being number one in the country. Um, I still had Ohio State uh, number one on my ballot. They they nearly stubbed their toe in the Big Ten championship game, but I think start to finish from the first of September through the end of November, uh, Ohio State was the most complete team. So I I put them number one, but LSU deserves all the credit for being number one and or number two on your ballot. Um, and the the schedule that they managed and beat some of the teams that they beat, uh, very impressive. And they're very good. They deserve a lot of plaudits for and, – and if they blow Oklahoma out, here's the deal. You know what? Maybe it's just because I'm getting old. I don't think anything would surprise me anymore. I think if Oklahoma oh, won no. by 10, 10 points or if LSU won by 28, neither one of those things would surprise me anymore. It sounds like I'm like waffling and hedging, but truly, I've seen a hell of a lot of football games. Uh, I've covered a hell of a lot of football games, and I have been shocked by some things. Um, uh, these are two championship teams and I've think I've seen really good teams go sideways really fast. Like the 2007 Oklahoma team in the, uh, against, uh, West, West Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. And the 2004 Oklahoma team against USC. I've seen things get sideways really fast for good teams. And sometimes it just happens. So I could, if Oklahoma blows them out, I'll be impressed and I'll be mildly surprised, but I would not be shocked. I mean, think about it. Like how confused would this fan base be, John, if OU does, find a way to beat LSU and then they just lose in a national championship game. I mean, you got to think about this is a program that has been to the playoff. What? One, two, three times. They haven't won one yet. This is four. They, they, yeah, this is their fourth try. They haven't won a national championship since 2000. They played in three other, you know, BCS championship bowl games, lost all three of those. I mean, so much emotion would go into, we finally did it. We finally got to reverse that BS stigma of we're we're good enough, but we're not elites. We're at the kids' table in terms of, like, playoff contention. You finally get to the championship game, and then you lose. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it, it would be it's, like... It's happened before. It would, it would be hard to be like, well... That's still very good, right? But then you then you remember you're an OU fan and you have standards, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, but listen, it's the next step. Um, I, I talked about this on the radio earlier this week. It's the next step. Winning a playoff game is the next step for the Lincoln Riley Oklahoma Sooners. Meaning, you know, to go zero and four in the playoff that would not be a good look. To go zero and three under Lincoln Riley would would it, you know would not be a good look. You win the first playoff game, you can get with, recruited against with that number. Uh, well, sure, you you get absolutely, but you win your first playoff game with Jalen Hurts as your stopgap quarterback and a rebuilt offensive line and a brand new defensive coordinator. I'd say that's progress. I'd say that's progress. So 
uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, that that's not something that I think OU fans would would lament. You know, winning the first game and losing the second. But um, and, and listen, I'm not sitting here predicting. I think uh, I think uh, LSU is going to win the game, 35-31. It is going to be a close game. I don't see LSU protecting a, a 14-point spread. Um, but uh, but I again, it would not shock me if if LSU won the game by 28 points. It would not shock me if OU somehow won the game by double digits. Yeah, I mean, like basically, I I remember like over the last few years, John, I uh, I'd always said. Because, like you just said, nothing nothing would surprise you. Nothing would really surprise me either anymore because going into the season, I would always say things like, I've never seen OU come back from a large deficit. They have led a charge and got it down to one possession and just couldn't. Like, it was too little too late. You know, I think about the 2007 OU-Texas Tech game when Sam Bradford got knocked out and Joey mm-hmm. Halsey almost led the charge back. I mean, even Kansas State this year. And then they come back from 25 down in Waco against Baylor and then it's like that the the circle is now complete. I have now seen OU destroy a good team. <laughs> I've seen them get destroyed by bad teams. I have seen them win a national championship. I've seen them upset an Alabama team in a game that no one gave them a chance. And now I've seen them come back from 20 plus points down. So I, I don't know what else could surprise me. So I guess I'm going to have the same mentality that you're going to have watching the Peach Bowl. Yeah, just go into it with an open mind, right? <laughs> I guess so. I mean, that's the only way I'm... <sighs> I don't. I'm gonna get my hopes up. I mean, it never fails. I'm already. I've already got my hopes up. But oh, FYI, man. I got my media guide out. The the keeper of all things. John is doing research. Yeah. So yeah. Yesterday's yesterday. Good lord. It feels like yesterday. Last year's um, Orange Bowl loss, eleven points, forty five thirty four, in which they fell behind. What was it? Twenty eight nothing. Twenty eight nothing. Yep. Um, that is to date Lincoln Riley's biggest deficit in a loss. By far? By, by yeah, I mean, 11 points, a couple of sevens. Um, yeah, Iowa State was a three. And, and, and Kansas State this year was seven. So, yeah. Um, so take that for what it's worth that uh, Lincoln, Riley, Lincoln Riley coach teams don't seem to get blown out. Yeah. And I guess I'll say this real quick about the Orange Bowl last year. Um, because I think we've talked about, I really appreciated that that team did not give up. Like, I really appreciated that, and it was a good look. You know, it was exciting to see Kyler Murray step up in the pocket and throw that 50-yard bomb to Charles Mm -hmm. Rambo in stride. That's a good look. Um, Because we have seen OU teams in the past in similar situations where they just said, screw it. Wilt, yep. Screw it, just thinking about the NFL now, and then it just snowballs even worse. Um, But at the same time, with that Orange Bowl, I remember watching it going like, this is exciting now. Like the second half is kind of exciting, but if Alabama wants to score, they're scoring. Like OU's defense had no shot. They couldn't get within 11. They get within 11 and then boom, it's back up to 18. Then get within 11 again and then boom, it's back up to 18. If they could have gotten a stop somewhere down the stretch and gotten that game within a single, uh, single digits, one possession, that would that that could have gotten interesting down the stretch. Oh yeah, they, they would have of course needed two stops. But the point is, if they could have gotten one down the stretch, they could have made the game a lot more interesting. And now, as I kind of segue into my like the next topic, and I, I feel like that we're the only OU podcast that ever talks about the kicking game, John. But specifically <laughs> about that Orange Bowl, because I remember in the first half when you know obviously OU is already down twenty eight to nine. 28 nothing. Oh, you gets the ball down into the Reds, I think on the goal line on a fourth down and Lincoln Riley kicks a field goal. 
And I remember seeing people just like, what the hell are you doing? Go for it. And I'm like, guys, points are precious. Like, situations are always different. You don't just blindly go for it every single time on the goal line. Like, depending on what's going on, sometimes you just got to take the easy points. Yeah. You so, need, sometimes you need something positive to happen. Yeah. Now, in hindsight, yeah, it would maybe it would have been nice if OU went for it and got the touchdown. And then it's like, instead of being down 11, maybe they're down eight or nine. And who knows what happens in the second half. But like I said, Alabama was scoring at will. OU's defense wasn't doing crap. Um, but with this game, John, you've got, you know, a very a, a lethal weapon in Gabe Burkett. She's not missed a field goal and he hasn't just mm-hmm. been kicking chip shots. He hasn't just been kicking comfortable, you know, second quarter field goals that don't matter necessarily in the short term. He's kicked clutch field goals all season long. Um, it gives me the confidence that if OU drive stall out and you've got a 40-yard field goal, then go ahead and, and trot Gabe Burkich out there. There's no no reason in trying to like force the issue and go for it, and then you give LSU good field position. But if OU does get into the red zone, John, I mean, what do you think is the best course of action? Because I feel like OU's really good at obviously moving the ball in between the twenties. It's just it always comes down to Jalen Hurts making plays in the red zone by not fumbling, by not throwing it into coverage. Can't does Lincoln Riley trust him throwing into tight spots, tight windows? Because um, against Baylor, he didn't outside of that Nick Baskin touchdown, which was a perfect throw. So, like my question to you is: they get down on the red zone and it's a fourth down. Like, is kicking can OU win this game by kicking field goals? The obvious answer is no, but like, do you get yeah. what I'm trying to say here? Sure. I would say the obvious answer is no, um, to, to parrot off what you said. Um, Oklahoma's going to need touchdowns. Here, here's something. So here's what I'm working on for about to put the finishing touches on this story I've been working on today. This column is, is about the Oklahoma defense. And I know I wrote about the OU defense before the Big 12 championship game and how this was Alex Grinch's biggest stage and this is why he was brought. But I was wrong. Spin it forward three weeks. This is why Alex Grinch was brought here. This is his biggest stage. Atlanta, Georgia, uh, the LSU fighting Tigers. They've given up 99 points in their two playoff games, 54 and 45. 99 points, Oklahoma's defense. This is why Alex Grinch is here. Now, what you just asked me about kicking field goals in the red zone, where do you fall on that? Because if if you're kicking field goals in the red zone, at least you're putting up points. But are you putting up enough points to keep up with the defense that in t- the past two playoff games has given up 99? I don't think this defense is going to give up 49 and a half points per game to, uh, tomorrow, right? I don't think they're going to give up 50. I don't think they're going to give up half a hundred. But it's the number one offense in the country. They might. So in that respect, you might actually need to go for it on fourth down. You might need to actually try to keep up with LSU. And that's a, that's a scary proposition, but dude, Gabe Burkich has been automatic. He's 17 out of 17. He made two field goals in the, in the wind, the, 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 the wind tunnel that is Boone Pickens stadium. Oh yeah. Um, He made a clutch game winner, 31 yards against, you know, Baylor in the in the uh down in waco and then in you know calm conditions what did he make three field goals against uh baylor in the in the championship game yeah and i thought the the best kick he's had all year was the was the uh, field goal kick in in manhattan against kansas state to put OU in a position to potentially win that game because i think that was like a 45 yarder 39 yards 39 yarder 
Mm-hmm. And just considering how everything went that day, I, I he trotted out there. I was like, this is not going to end well. <laughs> yeah. And he just nailed it right down the middle. Right down the middle. Yeah. He's been very good. He's been clutch. Um, it's funny. Matt, Matt and I were talking about that on the uh, other podcast, the Locked On Sooners, Locked On LSU podcast about – he said – he goes, uh, you know, I listen to podcasts. Nobody ever breaks down the uh, special teams, John. He said, it's always, we've talked to offense, defense. He said, let's talk some, some special teams. I'm like, hell yeah. It's like, you, uh, don't, you obviously don't listen to Inside OU then, sir. <laughs> I think he's talking more about the Locked On Network. But uh, <laughs> here's the deal. Um, Cade York, if you're talking about a matchup of who's better, Cade York is uh, is a true freshman, All-American. He's an SEC all-freshman team, AP second team all SEC. He's the kicker who replaced their kicker last year, kind of like uh, kind of like Burkich is replacing uh, Austin Seibert. Yeah. Um, you know, big shoes to fill, but the kid's going out there and doing it. He said he, uh, Matt said he missed some field goals early in the season, but he's been good in, in Big Twelve or in uh, SEC play. Um, Burkich, I'm going to give the edge to Burkich on that one. You know, if you're talking about a clutch kick to to win the game, if you're talking about a uh, a 45 yarder or something like that. I would think Oklahoma has a slight advantage. Um, and, and the, the punting matchup is interesting too. I don't want to get too silly here, but, uh, the deep snapping could, competition is going to be off the, the charts. Deep John. snappers are future pros, <laughs> NFL prospects. Um, I just wanted to throw this kid's name out there just cause it's fun to say if I can get to my, uh, if I can get to my, is it an LSU Zach, player? Yeah, LSU player Zach von Rosenberg oh, boom. is going to be going up against Reeves Munchau, who we we in the OU media call Baron von Munchau. So you got von <laughs> Rosenberg going against Baron von Munchau. How much fun is that? That's German royalty that. right there. Absolutely. I Kick like that it. thing right through the ceiling. Well, like here, I'll be a little bit more specific in my question. Um, l- let's say OU gets the ball first. They have the ball first. And they march down the field. They get it down to about the five, ten or the five yard line. The drive stalls. They got a fourth down situation coming up. Should Lincoln Riley be uber aggressive and go for it, or should he just get the field goal? What you said earlier is one hundred percent correct. Each game situation is different. Each, if it's fourth and six, and you feel like your offensive line needs to come over to the sideline and and get a breather. You know yep. they've been out there for a while. They're tired. If it's if you get down, you know you pop a long play, and then you're inside the red zone, and you've got a fourth and one, and it's only the fifth play of the drive, or maybe the sixth, eighth play of the drive, whatever, and you feel like the guy, or it's early in the game, and they're not tired. You know, each each you would go for it in that situation. I would think each situation is going to be different. And Brady, that's why Lincoln Riley makes six million dollars a year, <laughs> but, and you and I don't because he's going to be the one who makes that decision. He's going to be the one who assesses the situation and says kick it don't kick it well because it, it i don't like, think it, it uh, like i'll, I'll me, borrow his words here there's not a cookie cutter answer for that well because it felt like to me as the season wore along and oh you started to become more of a ball control off offense and maybe that's why i'm about to say what i'm about to say it seemed like a lot of the the decisions that Lincoln Riley would make when it would get to this point, he would err on the side of, I have confidence in this defense. Now, that's a decision he would not mm-hmm. have made his first two years as a head coach. He would have been like, go for it. I don't care. I have no confidence in this defense. So I, I just don't know because like either way, you, you can look at that situation either way. He goes for it on fourth down the red zone and they don't get it. Oh, man, he doesn't have confidence in this defense to stop Joe Burrow. Or he does go for it. Or yeah, or 
he kicks the field goal and it's like, oh, he has no confidence in Jalen Hurts. They should have gone for it, right? Like, uh, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't mm-hmm. situation. That's but, right. But it just really, to me, it just, OU has to start off not fast. They, I mean, obviously it'd be great if they scored 20 points on their first, 21 points on their first three drives, but they, they just can't get down in a hole. Because if they get down in a hole, they don't have a Kyler Murray at the quarterback position that can start airing it out, letting it fly, <laughs> all the like well, all the, over the place. The, the, the Jalen Hurts that played in Waco, Texas, would disagree with you. And okay, look, he I actually, found all the, those all those secondary receivers. He found all those freshman tight ends. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. he was he was like throwing this caution is, to the wind, and said, "Hell with it! I'm gonna I'm gonna just chuck the ball," and he did it. It's like he played free. It's like he stopped trying to prove everything to everybody. Stopped trying to prove to everybody that he's the Michael Jordan of college quarterbacks. Oh. And he just went out and threw the ball around. Yeah, and this is actually something I wanted to touch on because like when you when you put Baylor's defense up against LSU's defense, what do you come away with? I just want to before I say anything, I just want to get your opinion. Yeah, that's I haven't really analyzed that. Um, I Just listen. Off Baylor, Baylor, Baylor plays defense with no shame whatsoever. I think Baylor's defensive line is probably as good, if not better, than LSU's. Um, their linebackers are probably not as good, but they're in terms of tackling and fundamentals. I think they're on that level. Uh, DBs, I'd probably for certain give the advantage to LSU in that one. I think this probably makes a little bit more sense if you're evaluating a basketball team. You can be a good team de- defensive. Te- you can be a good defensive team in basketball and not have a shutdown defender on the perimeter or a Rudy Gobert, you know, back protecting the rim. You can still mm-hmm. be a good defense if everybody knows what they're doing. Communication yeah. is is sound and everyone's playing. That's what Baylor does. Yeah, that's what Baylor does. LSU just has the talent. They've got the Jimmies and the Joes, like guys that can make up for if somebody goes the wrong way. There's a miscommunication. They've got guys that can still make plays in spite of that. And I'm just curious how that affects OU's offense because I feel like OU's offense struggles against good team defenses because Jalen Hurts, a lot of his good plays are, you know, when he's like, okay, this my first read's gone, I gotta take off. Baylor doesn't miss tackles. The second they hit you, they wrap up and the play's dead. LSU, that athleticism, and OU fans should know this because while the defenses have been terrible the last few years, they've still had a lot of talented freaks playing on the defensive side of the football. And when you just rely on your athleticism in the open field, you can either look like an awesome defensive player or you can look like an absolute fool because Jalen Hurts can just one cut you and then it's a 30-yard gain. Yeah. So from that perspective, I'm digging for optimism here, obviously, John. And if any LSU fans listen, yes, obviously this is an OU slanted podcast. Me digging for optimism is a compliment towards you, LSU fans. You guys are very good. But that, to me, gives me a little bit of hope that this offense can have a little bit more success either in the ground game or in the passing game than they did against Baylor, especially in the second half. Well, let's let's talk about uh, November, shall we? Let's let's take it back actually to October 26th for Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts was setting the world on fire in September and October. And then he went to Kansas State and his um, defense let him down. Well, yes, it did, but uh, I'll also I'll also add that he was playing against up to that point in the season, he was playing against the best defense he had played he had faced. Kansas State was the best defense that Jalen Hurts faced when they played Kansas State up in Manhattan. Yep. His 
passing efficiency went down and his rushing yards per carry went down that game. 19 carries for 96 yards and his passer efficiency was not for like the first time all year over 250 efficiency rating. Okay. Then the next week they played Iowa state and same thing. He, he had 110 or 132 yards. No, 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 that's wrong. 68 yards rushing for Jalen Hurts he, in that game. He got away with 22 a, carries. He got away with a few bad passes that should have been intercepted. Yep. But the first and he three, only had, but the first three quarters were like, okay, this is the Jalen Hurts that we're more accustomed to seeing. And then the fourth quarter happened. Yeah. And he only had, uh, 273 yards passing, which for him again was a very small number or a relatively small number. Then he goes up against Baylor who has the big 12s. I'm going to say it, but I don't care. Big, big 12s best defense. And his numbers are now he had 400 yards because in the second half he had to drop back and throw the football all the time, but he had 114 yards rushing and you know, three, three, almost 300 yards passing he had a good statistical game, but again, not as efficient 27 carries for 114 yards. That's not a big, you know, that's not eight yards of carry like he had been doing. Then they play TCU, who has historically the best defense and at least defensive staff in the Big 12. And what happens? Again, Jalen Hurts has meager numbers for him. Now, he did have 173 yards rushing, but passing-wise, 145 yards passing for Jalen Hurts on 55% completions. So you see what I'm getting at. They Those played, are Hibble numbers passing-wise, I think. That's right. That's pretty bad. <laughs> and then they played, of course, Baylor in the Big 12 championship game, and his numbers in the Big 12 championship game, eight car- uh, no, uh, 23 carries for 38 yards rushing, and then uh, passing-wise, he only had 287 passing, which isn't bad, of course, but it's not you know, eye-popping. So yeah. point being, he played those five games against those four opponents, and his numbers were very non-Heisman-like. His numbers were um, not mind-blowing, like like he had all season. Like he they had been went doing from Heisman season. to All American. <laughs> he, he there you go, there you go, right there. He went from Heisman front runner to hey, he's got a chance to get on some All American lists, right? So he was good, but he was not elite. He was not number one in the country like his predecessors were. In other words, he went up against those really good defenses, and he looked a little more ordinary. So the point becomes. What? Where does LSU fall in that category of good defenses? It, are they as fundamentally sound as Kansas State, Iowa State, Baylor, and TCU? They do have, as you said, more Jimmys and Joes than probably all those teams combined. Yeah. Um, but they don't necessarily play. When you see a Ed Orgeron, for instance, today at the coach's press conference, said that the old the old Miss quarterback who rushed for over two hundred yards. The Ole Miss quarterback surprised us a little bit. Uh, that he did some things that we weren't expecting, and they did some things in the running game. And well, guess what? Ole Miss rushed for 400 yards. You know who else surprised him? Sam Ellinger when he threw for 400 yards. Um, I don't think o- OU is going to surprise them. I think that they anticipate that Jalen Hurts is what he is. They played against him before as it, when he was with Alabama, and they know that he's going to run the football a lot. So there's no surprise factor, but. There's no doubt if Lincoln Riley comes up with some kind of scheme, some kind of plan, some kind of blocking fold or something that that they haven't been doing all year, those guys can be had. Those LSU guys can be had because they're not necessarily fundamentally sound. They're not necessarily – Dave Aranda is a hell of a coach, but they're, they're not necessarily built on like 
Iowa State, like Baylor's defense, like TCU every year. They're not built on the fundamentals and, and rules and guidelines that they all adhere to on every play, and they have backups and fail-safes and things like that. LSU's just got a bunch of badass dudes out there running around. So if it turns into a fist fight in a phone booth, so to speak, LSU's probably going to win those individual matchups. But if it's more of a uh, X's and O's and we're going to out-scheme them and we're going to overload them on this side and then we're going to throw it back the other direction, if it gets to be a a chess match, I think Oklahoma's got a a better chance of winning something like that, don't you? Yeah, because, I mean, the next question I was going to ask you is, kind of this is kind of a hot take especially it's a hot take right now if i would have said this in the off season nobody would have batted an eye at me who do you think is a better coach lincoln riley or ed orgeron i asked matt that question today i said is is um ed orgeron ready for the prime time is he ready for his close-up is he ready for the spotlight in the big stage because and what matt's answer was was we'll find out this is his moment uh, if he can beat Oklahoma, if he can take down Lincoln Riley and then go on next week and you know beat Ohio State or Clemson, whoever wins that one, man, all of a sudden he puts himself in this conversation, right? There's there's a, a handful, literally a handful of coaches out there who, who own actively coaching, who own a national championship on their resume. He would be the next one to join that list. So um, right now I would say Lincoln Riley is a superior coach. You know Lincoln Riley's got 36 wins in his first three years? Nobody's done that since like 1892. Goodness. I mean, from Yale? Uh, yeah, yeah. Somebody from yeah. Yale? Yale or Princeton or, you know, who Pittsburgh. knows? Dartmouth, who, Pittsburgh, there you go. Minnesota, <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, you know, that those are some mind blowing numbers. And it's not like they're playing that extra game. You know, it's not like they're playing that 15th game that they get an extra shot. They're, they're having to stop at 14 every year. So um, he's, he's going 12 and 2 every year so far. Uh, this year, twelve and one so far, uh, and and uh, I I would tend to think that at this stage in their careers, that Lincoln Riley has has a little bit of a leg up on Ed Orgeron. Well, look, I'll say this about Ed O really quick. Um, covering the Thunder alongside uh, Eric Horn from the Athletic, who does a great job covering the Thunder. Eric is from Louisiana. He's from New New Orleans, and he grew up an LSU fan. And he's given me plenty of crap going into this week, and uh, I'm very nervous to see him if OU does lose um, when the Thunder come back from their two-game road trip. But he he has told, because obviously I don't know this as a non-native Louisianan, Edo has done a very good job in embracing the state of Louisiana. Obviously, he's from Louisiana. He's done a very good job of getting the entire state to be proud of LSU. Now, that, that mm-hmm. wasn't really a problem back with with Les Miles when they were winning national championships. But Eric was telling me something about something was lost, kind of in translation with Les Miles, and even with Nick Saban, because he was there for... How long was Nick Saban at LSU? Not long. Like four or five years? Five, Yeah, I feel like it was five seasons. And, you know, before that, LSU was always kind of a... They, like every so often they'd have like a nine, 10 win season, but they weren't a perennial powerhouse yeah. that people know them to be now. So Edo has done a very good job of building back a sleeping giant in terms of like where LSU is located, the conference that they're in and all the talent that are, you know, you can throw a rock and hit, you know, three or five, three or four or five stars. Um, so Edo gets credit for that. He does get credit for this season. I mean, as OU fans should know, it's really hard to go undefeated no matter where you play, and LSU mm-hmm. was undefeated, so credit to Edo. But going into the season, and the thing that I was talking about earlier where I was like, if I said this in the offseason, nobody would care. 
the thing that I always thought about Ed O, John, was he just strikes me as a hype man coordinator. Like <laughs> he, he he was the head coach at Ole Miss and got fired because he wasn't very good and of the mm-hmm. sanctions. Um, he got the interim job at USC and got let go for whatever reasons. And I'm not going to even bring up the USC didn't like the way he sounded because I don't know if that's actually true or not. Uh, kind of makes sense, I guess. But um, you see, like interim coaches step in and have success because they're they're basically adrenaline. They're a shot in the arm, and they do things differently. And then opponents don't necessarily know how to. Um, uh, combat them, and then the players start to you know rise up their level of play and play for their coach, their interim coach, and then you know there's some overachieving. So I just always saw Edo as an overachiever. I've never, I've never thought to put him in the upper echelon of coaches in college football. Now, if he beats Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma, he's well on his way to being in that conversation. And with mm-hmm. where LSU is going recruiting wise, it'll just keep going up and up and up. But. That's like that's we've talked about all these ways that oh you could potentially win. You brought up the probably the best point on this podcast is it needs to become a chess match. And if that's the case, Lincoln Riley will win this game. OU will win this game. Yeah, I, I think um, maybe maybe I just don't have enough respect for Ed Orgeron, but and I I, yeah, I, I, I I truly don't mean to be in that category, but I when I'm splitting hairs well, here, I just give the edge to Lincoln Riley in terms of a schematic you know, chess match of a coach. Yeah. And, and part of the Ed Orgeron mystique, uh, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here is that he's, uh, he's got the voice and he's a Cajun and he's from Louisiana and he's, he's a gruff guy, gruff, gruff in a, in a loving kind of a, almost a grandfatherly way, you know, um, his players love playing for him like Barry Switzer's players love right, playing for him. Right, right. And I'm um, sure Barry Switzer rubbed people that were out of the region the wrong way whenever they would see a random um, interview with him. Yeah. Yeah, personality-wise, they might be similar that in that way. Uh, he he says all the right things, and and he's done all the right things, But and I, I don't mean this necessarily in a bad way. So LSU fans, if you're listening to this, don't kill me. I honestly, I don't mean this in a bad way. He's, he's so gregarious and he's so likable and he's so outgoing that he's almost like a caricature figure. Like, you know, like you don't seriously take him seriously as a coach, like a CEO type personality, like, like you see across the board at at so many programs. He's more of a, of a, just a good old boy who just happened to get this job and he's having a good time doing it. And by God, you know what I mean? I'm not trying to disrespect him. I, I think he's a hell of a coach and an unbelievable recruiter. I'm just saying that's the image that's out there. That's the perception. And when, when he stops practice and yells at his players during a press conference, hey, I'm trying to do a press conference over here. I mean, how many coaches in America do stuff like that? <laughs> he's one of the few. So I like the guy. I like being around him. I like his energy. Uh, and I like the way he talks about his opponent. Um, but, but what you're saying is not inaccurate in that the rest of the country doesn't necessarily, might not necessarily take him seriously as a quote unquote CEO of a college football program. He's not a button down straight lace kind of guy. Yeah. And coaches like that can still win national championships. So, I mean, trust me, it would not surprise me if LSU wins. It would not surprise me if, 
Um, LSU wins, and it's a byproduct of Ed Orgeron's coaching style. So, uh, again, yeah. I'm just saying. And the players, like you said, they love him, and they play like hell for him. Yeah, and again, I'm just, I'm to clarify, I'm just saying, if the game starts to slowly play itself in, OU is just beating LSU because LSU cannot figure out what OU is doing offensively, that's when you can start getting confidence as an OU fan that, yep, this is going to age well this game. Lincoln Riley is going to outscheme Ed, mm-hmm. or, Ed, or, Ed Orgeron, but um, real quick before we get out of here, John, you did get a chance to talk to uh, somebody that we might be talking about a lot in the c- next coming years, Mr. Spencer Rattler. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, Spencer Rattler. And I got um, to see the first two or three minutes of that video. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can find that video at thefranchiseok.com. Yes, and your YouTube page, Johnny Hoover, on YouTube. Um, very upbeat for a guy who obviously came in with – Every single bit of confidence you a human being can have, um, five-star quarterback, best quarterback in the country. Then Jalen Hurts comes to town and kind of puts a halt on his uh, career start at OU. And all signs are, of course, pointing to him being the starter and then Tanner Mordecai being the second-best quarterback in the country, according to your logic, John. But um, I, I, I got to say, I was a little surprised that Spencer Rattler was so – I liked his attitude because – the thing with me for Spencer moving forward, like the talent is undeniable. Even in the few times that we've been able to see him, he can make all the throws. He's athletic enough. He's he's your prototypical Lincoln Riley or Lincoln Riley quarterback. The thing with me with five star quarterbacks that have all that confidence is just what goes on between the ears. What's the maturity level? What happens when he hits adversity? And those are things that we're going to see. Yeah. So and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day how someone conducts himself in a media scrum, but I've got to say I was not turned off by how Spencer Rattler uh, engaged with you and reporters in that scrum. Yeah, it was uh, it was me and it was Vic Reynolds from the uh, OU Daily, and they they were sitting there for forty five minutes, so anybody had access to him. But in this particular video, I think it's a it's about seven or eight minutes. Is it? I, I can't remember. Uh, it's me and Vic. Reynolds from the OU Daily, and we're going back and forth asking him questions. By the way, someone on the YouTube channel uh, in the comments called me a sick narcissist for trying to take down the OU program, which is probably the coolest thing I've ever been called, a sick narcissist. I'm going to actually get, like, get that. I'm going to get T-shirts printed <laughs> that say sick narcissist on it. So can't wait to – maybe I'll change my Twitter handle. Instead of at Johnny Hoover, it'll be at sick narcissist. Um, be so sure there, to, so be, there's that. Be sure to post a lot more selfie videos now. <laughs> no doubt. Me, 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 me. Yeah, but you know, here's the deal: when you when you haven't talked to a guy all year, you haven't had access to to a guy, and he doesn't know who you are, and you've got ten minutes to ask him as many questions as you can. That's kind of what you're seeing in that Q and A: is a little bit of let's get to know you, let's let the viewer, or the listener, or the reader get to know you a little bit. So I'm going to ask you some easy questions. No, it's important you know. that players kind of can, they may not want to know who you are, your whole life story as a writer and a reporter, but when they can recognize you, that does help the relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. They open up a little more. They, you know, I was talking to Neville Gallimore yesterday after media day got over about, I said, man, listen, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you coming in, doing all these interviews. Uh, I said the same thing to CD. I said the same thing to Kenneth Murray. Uh, Are and you I trying to say told, CD's going somewhere, John Hoover? No, no. Just told him. I said, <laughs> I just told him. I just wanted to let you know. I appreciate you coming in and doing all these interviews. And I told Neville Gallimore, man, I'm sorry for all those CFL questions I asked you, but I'm from Alaska, and so I grew up on the CFL. He was laughing about it. So he, he they understand when you've gotten some FaceTime with them more than once. Uh, and I, I actually told, told um, before the interview, I actually told Spencer, <clears throat> I'm the guy that, 
put on Twitter, Spencer Rattler almost wiped out on a lime scooter. And he started laughing. He goes, that was you, huh? I said, yeah. I said, yeah, that was me. And, uh, you know, uh, he said, yeah, man, those leaves, they piled up right there. And I hit that curb. And I said, that's exactly, I, I described the whole thing. And, and from then said, on, a lifelong friendship was forged. Yeah, I think he, I think those are the things that allow you to, as a beat writer, or as a columnist like myself who shows up all the time, those are the things that allow you to gain a little bit of trust with the people that you're covering. And uh, even a sick narcissist like me is going to need a little bit of trust out of somebody. And so when we have a conversation, it's not just uh, some of the Q&As that we've seen here from from uh, Peach Bowl Media Day. Stuff like somebody asked Parnell Motley, where are you from? Uh, Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. What high school did you go to? I <laughs> uh, went to this high school. Okay. Is that in PG County? No, it's not. Did you have a lot of weapons in high school? And I, I th- assume by weapons he meant on the football team, like receivers and quarterbacks and running backs, not you know guns in school. Yeah. There has been some really bad q and I, I thought, think I just posted a short, a brief one of uh, Joe Burrow. The Somebody Joe said, Burrow one? Yeah, I saw yeah. that. It's funny. Uh, I, so I how are you that... feeling? I'm feeling fine. Do you, are, do you have the sniffles? Uh, are you a little sick? Yeah, I feel a little sick. Hey, uh, so can we get started? No, I'm going to go to the bathroom first and I'll be right back. <laughs> That's actually in the Q&A. I thought the Parnell the, Motley questions were going here. I thought the Parnell Motley questions were heading towards, uh, so is that in PG County? And if Parnell Motley said yes... <laughs> Oh, are you a snake like Kevin Durant? And then the then the reporter like throws down a smoke bomb and he disappears. <laughs> and then Parno Molly just sits there and goes, Okay. Yeah. As a sports <laughs> fan, when you hear PG County, the first person you think of, unfortunately, is Kevin Durant. Brooklyn Net, Kevin Durant. Forget to say that sometimes. Real hey, real quick, I want to make a quick point. Um the two thousand three 04 Sugar Bowl between OU and uh, LSU. We've talked about the Orange Bowl three times, John. You're going to bring up this old shit now. Yeah, uh, it has nothing, it has no bearing on this whatsoever. OU's wearing crimson jerseys while LSU's wearing white jerseys again, John. Again, I know. But it has no bearing, but it was fun <laughs> to talk about today in the press conference because Lincoln Riley was asked, both coaches were asked, uh, what, do you, what do you recollect from that game? And um, Ed Orgeron said, oh, I remember it was a great game. <laughs> Go Tigers. That's good. <laughs> and uh That's his period, Link- by the way. Like that, yeah. that, that's his punctuation mark. Right. Lincoln Riley said, Yeah, I, I remember it was a good game. I remember watching it. Uh I think I was fifteen years old at the time. <laughs> it's pretty funny. That's how long ago it's been. He was and he, I think he was twenty, but yeah, still, I was I was thirteen. <laughs> that is the game, and Matt and I talked about this on our earlier podcast. That is the game that re- that was Nick Saban's first – it wasn't his first like big career win, but it was his first major win. It was his first championship. It was the first national championship. That was the one that took LSU out of the dark ages. They hadn't won a national championship in 45 years or something like that. And Nick Saban was basically had, you know, had some great success at, at uh, um, Michigan State. Michigan State, and before that he was in the MAC and had some success there. But, yeah, you go to LSU and you win a national championship for the first time in 40 years, and all of a sudden people start talking about you in that vein. Now guess what? They've had a national championship in 2003. They've had one in 2007 under Les Miles. They had another one that they played for in 2011, and they kind of got screwed out of that one. They should have been playing Oklahoma State instead of Alabama. And now they're back in the playoff picture, and they're number one in the country. So 
that you, you said earlier you referred to him as a sleeping giant yeah nine wins a year access to a lot of recruits uh, a lot of broken hearts over the over the decades there were people who were born had children and then had grandchildren uh in between national championships for lsu whereas at ou you're talking about 20 years 19 years now there are people who were born and, and have had children right so yeah I mean, but they, you see ha- that, but they haven't had grandchildren. You see that so with a lot of S- you see that with a lot of SEC schools and their history outside of Alabama. And you know, the reason one of the probably the major reasons is a very sad one. SEC schools and Southern schools didn't like black people, and they didn't That's let right. them play. Mm-hmm. You know, at in their home state schools until what the late the early eighties the the nineties even. No, 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 no. Sixties, late sixties, early seventies. No, when did uh when did Bama when did um seventies? It was did, Switz, Switzer and and uh, Bear Bryant did it. Uh, Bear Bryant did it after Switzer and Chuck Fairbanks did it. And, I, I and te- sw- Texas got on board after I, Switzer and and uh, Chuck Fairbanks kind of popularized it. I you, you know, USC that. did it for for years. USC had um, African-American players and won national championships. And everybody said, well, that's California for you. You know, we're not doing that here in the South. Oh, Oklahoma man. got to doing it. And then it was like, oh, Texas was like, oh, we need to do that. If Oklahoma's doing it, we need to do it. And Alabama said, well, if Texas and Oklahoma are doing it, we need to do it. So that's when it started. Really, yeah, Barry Switzer and Chuck Fairbanks changed the face of college football. Yeah, and – you know, as soon as and a lot of athletes in the South, you know, a lot of them are African-American. And so when SEC schools are able to keep their talent, you know, in state, that's when the, the wins start gobbling up or they start gobbling up, gobbling up wins, excuse me. And that's kind of when I said sleeping giant, I mean, unless I just don't see how LSU and Alabama can just really fall off. And I know that they will because yeah, college, changed. college football is is a cycle. It's a time is a flat circle, of course. Um, at some point, Alabama is going to be down. Oklahoma is going to be down. It it never fails. But gosh, the recruiting and the yes. access to recruits and the the social media and everything that goes into this this mindless machine that is college football. I just I don't know. But OU's got a very good chance, John, to really accelerate their pathway to being in that really small group mm-hmm. of elite schools with Clemson with Alabama and uh Ohio State if they can get past LSU what about Texas to Texas A&M um well Texas is back though so don't yeah, like, and te- they're gonna have to work hard to stay stay in front of Aggie oh, right? yeah. is that yeah. how that works oh of course now like okay. for most people listening to this podcast I don't know if this will matter but really quick I want to get your take OSU Texas A&M who you got uh, OSU was my lock of the week. Good. I feel like I am the, outside of you. I feel like I'm the only person at the franchise picking OSU, and I'm like, have any of you watched Texas A&M this year? Yeah, Anybody? they're bad. Um, they're bad. They're very unimpressive. They've got moderate moderate talent here and there. Yeah, it's like describe. Uh, and Oklahoma State gets its quarterback back. Describe Georgia to me, somebody, and then they'll tell me, well, they're very talented, but they can't do anything offensively. They can't throw the football forward. Okay, that's Texas A&M, but like subtract like fifty percent of that talent. That's <laughs> right. That is Texas A&M. Yeah, I got Oklahoma State. Um, ask me again after the game tonight, and I will probably have a different answer. I, my locks of the week have been red. Have either been red hot or ice blue cold. I can like, just. <laughs> it's been it's been crazy i'm like one week i'm like god i was so smart by picking these guys and then the next week i'm like what the hell was i thinking 
Oh, you win some and you lose some, but I can always just call you back on Skype and then re like re-edit the uh <laughs> the what you just told me about the uh what is it, the Texas Bowl or the Houston Bowl? The Houston Bowl is the Texas Bowl. The, the Texas Bowl is in Houston. Yeah, okay. It was one of those. <laughs> um I can just When re- you, when you have to guess at what bowl you're playing in, that's not a good well, like, not a good look. I could have swore that Iowa State Notre Dame was in the Russell Athletic Bowl, but I guess it's in the same venue in the same city. It's just called something different now, right? Yeah. Have we talked about? Oh, I know you're trying to wrap up, but I just want to get to this real quick. No, Have go we ahead. talked about um, the the new LSU LSU and Joe Brady and Joe Burrow and that offense representing the new SEC, so to speak, in terms of we need to score 45 points a game. In other words, they're I was talking with Matt about this last week. On the I'm actually, crossover I'm podcast. so glad you brought that up. I, I, this I is stood an and point. applauded when you were like, it's funny, you guys figure out the forward pass, and yeah, then, and then yeah. you throw out all these caveats of, well, this is why our defense isn't putting up record-breaking numbers anymore, because we're, not, exactly we're right. not playing boring-ass I-formation I offenses anymore. LSU's defense has had its troubles this year when its offense has been marching up and down the field and and putting down 90 plays a game. I'm That's tired. That's when LSU's defense really struggles. Think about that. And I told Matt on the podcast, I said, you guys are just getting to, in the SEC, you guys are just getting to where the Big 12 was in 2008, which is, man, we got some badass quarterbacks and some badass receivers, and we're going to sling it all over the yard, and y'all can't keep up. Oh, and by the way, our defense needs – can we get some more oxygen tanks over here for our defense? Because three plays and we scored. We had a one-play 79-yard drive uh, touchdown, and our defense needs to go back out there. Or we threw a pick six, and our defense needs to go – you know – what is going on in the SEC? And that's why I think going full circle back to part of our original conversation, part, one of the reasons I think Oklahoma's best chance of, of running a lot of plays is because LSU's defense is – Matt explained to me on the podcast today. Their fourth quarter – their uh, worst quarter scoring-wise by far of any quarter this season is the fourth quarter. They're getting like blown out in the fourth quarter or they're, they're getting, they're giving up a ton of points. I should Fatigue say in the fourth quarter and spread offenses have a hard time, <laughs> yes. a yes. hard time ending games. And that plays right into what Oklahoma does, which is grind, 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 13 play drive, 10 play drive, 15 play drive. And then fourth quarter comes along and you are gassed. You've been on out there on the field for 75, 80 plays. And Oh my God, the fourth quarter is just getting started. We still got 15 minutes of this. That's where Oklahoma has a real chance in this game. I'm going to feel so badass if OU wins the Peach Bowl in that exact fashion. I will just put this pod, this part of the podcast on loop, <laughs> and I'll just be honored that I was on it. It's like, yep, we knew it all along, everybody. You clowns, giving OU no chance. By the way, did you see, um, oh, what's his name? Um, oh, the... Damn it, what's his name? The guy on ESPN that always says outlandish things. Not Jim Mora. Eddie Radosevich hates him, or loves him, I should say. JoJo. Yeah, JoJo. What's his name, though? Joey Galloway. Joey Galloway. Did you see his score <laughs> prediction? No. 66-64 LSU. Lord. I mean, I think, if it, I think if it gets that high score, and I think Oklahoma wins. I mean, if Kyler Murray's you know back there slinging the ball, then sure, that's not a crazy prediction. <laughs> what a dummy. That's really it is stupid. That's that's uh, first class stupid. But seriously, if if it gets over, if it gets in the forties, the the higher the score gets, I think the better Oklahoma's chances are. If it's a low scoring game, 
or or if you know relatively if it stays in the 20 high 20s or low 30s i think uh, lsu has a better chance of winning 66 64 <laughs> what an idiot that's a special kind of stupid isn't it can you imagine if like you're, you're walking around media day and then for you know, like for some reason kirk herb street sees you hey john hoover you want to jump on and talk OU football with us on sports center <laughs> and you're like sure and then you're on with like him and then all those other clowns and then you bring up like you know blah 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 numbers blah 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 history blah 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 this and they're just like what is this research that you what is research what is that <laughs> What, you watch the games? Dude, we don't have time for that. Highlights, man. And then narratives. Yeah, we get our highlights from the SEC Network. Come on, John. Narratives. <laughs> the SEC Network CGI's Oklahoma's offense into looking like Jalen Hurts. Like, basically what Jim Moore Jr. sees. Jalen Hurts has been carrying this Oklahoma team for the last two months. Yeah, he has. Whatever. Mm-hmm. John... Any final thoughts, anything, anything that you like about Atlanta, anything that you're excited about tomorrow outside of the game? I just had my first Starbucks of the week, so I'm excited about that. I hope all our listeners had a Merry Christmas. Oh, yes. Um, I had to travel on Christmas Day, and that was a unique experience because I walked into the airport, kissed my wife goodbye, got my suitcase, went straight up to the southwest counter. Nobody was there. Then walked upstairs to the security gate and walked straight up to the uh, magnetic resonance imager or whatever that is, the x-ray machine. And, uh, there was nobody there. I've never traveled on Christmas day that I can recall. And the airports were, you know, relatively speaking, they were empty. Our plane coming from, uh, out of Tulsa to St. Louis was about half full. It was amazing. Shit. It was amazing. Now, did you fly out of Tulsa or will, will Rogers in Oklahoma city? Uh, Tulsa. Cause that's where I live. We have an airport in Tulsa. You oh, didn't I, know that? I, that's why I asked. Would you fly out of Tulsa, Tulsa or OKC? Tulsa International Airport. There you go. We can get anywhere we want. So I was on the globe. I, I guess because I, I guess that makes sense because Steve McGee from Channel Nine in Oklahoma City he uh, mentioned on Twitter that there were millions <laughs> of OU fans in the airport today and that the security line was. He's like, I've never seen it so long, and I just wow. just reading that tweet gave me anxiety. Yeah. Well, the, here's the thing is the LSU fans who have never been to a college football playoff, they're already here. They've already taken over Atlanta. OU no, they've fans. Been, they've been drunk tailgating yeah. that thing since the SEC title game. That's right. And, and as Matt said today, act like you've been there before. Well, LSU fans have never been here before. Right? They've been to Atlanta. They've been to the SEC championship. They've been they've won big games, but they've never been to the playoff. Oh, that's and a, that's why they've that's taken a, over this town. That's a little silly. They've won national championships, man. No, BCS in 2007. Come on, I mean there, there's been there's been a dozen years. These people are drunk, literally drunk, but they're drunk for some success. And I mean, they've, Alabama has been stomping their face. They've won the national championships more recently than OU. Well, sure they have. Yeah, a lot of teams have. <laughs> Sorry, but it's true. I see playoff. I see playoff. But games OU just... has been in the playoff, is what I'm saying. Okay, that's I mean... why OU fans are like. And let's wait until the 27th to go down. You know, I don't want to go down there and spend a bunch of money, have my heart broken again. I think that's where OU fan is versus LSU fans like, woo, we got the number one team in the country. Woo, go Tigers. You know, that's that's where LSU fans are. I mean, I'll, I'll remove my OU fandom. I want OU to win because I don't want LSU to just get gift-wrapped another <laughs> damn championship playing 10 <laughs> minutes from their campus. Yeah, at least it's not in uh, Baton Rouge this time. Or New Orleans. 
or oh. any, you know, no, Metairie. Uh, in the national championship in New Orleans? Oh, the national championship is, yes. Yes, yes it is. Yes, it that's is. I was I, talking about this game. That's why, I, that's why I was like, remove my OU fandom. That's why I want OU to win if I'm yeah. just a casual fan. May, I think maybe uh, LSU might be a team of destiny when it comes to that kind of thing. Oh, God. I know. Oh, here's, a, here's another thing that pisses me off when I think about it. OU has played... Oh, they've played the media darling a handful of times over the last 20 years. They've played Matt Leinert. They've played Johnny Manziel. They've played Tim Tebow. Mm-hmm. Um, now they got Joe Burrow. Now they got Joe Burrow. They've never beaten any of them. And it it angers me. Was was Winky not the media darling in 2000? Come on now. Uh, I think you're I right. Fe- he probably wasn't. I feel like he won that Heisman basically because Josh Heupel's second half of the year was so bad. A yeah. and then B. Chris Winky won that for like a career achievement award. He was so good at Florida State his entire career, and his, you know his senior year was good and was I guess Heisman worthy. But that was a bad year. That was a bad year for Heisman's, especially when Drew Brees was the third. I, wasn't he the third win? Uh, yeah, I think Drew Brees and Ladanian Thomas had finished third and fourth. Oh, they're, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, John, thank you so much for jumping on, and uh, good luck in Atlanta. Hopefully uh, you run into Outcast or something to make it extra fun. I, I wonder if Trey Young's going to the game. Uh, he was at practice yesterday. Yay. So if, they're, if the Hawks are in town, I would expect that he'll be at the game. He probably got a suite in that stadium, wouldn't you think? I would assume. For the kind of money that he signed for. NBA dropped the ball. They should have just foresaw that OU was going to play in Atlanta and had Sacramento and Atlanta play in Atlanta the night before so Buddy Heald and Trey Young could hang out on the sideline. It would be a great idea. It would make me feel better in my sooner heart. But, John, good luck tomorrow. Um, I guess we will talk to everybody either for a a season wrap-up podcast on monday or tuesday or whenever um what what happens if OU loses this game for you media responsibility wise is it all get taken care of at the bowl game or is- uh, yeah pretty much there will be a there will be a lincoln riley will have a press conference to kind of wrap things up and then he'll then we'll see him again on uh, signing day first of first wednesday in february okay so probably mid-january if they lose we'll we'll catch up with lincoln riley one more time talk about the season Okay. Yeah, and, and and then after that, I would think uh, we're we'll we'll be radio silent pretty much until uh, spring practice gets going. We'll see. I'm but gl- I'm glad you brought that up. If they win, yes, it's e- it's either wrap up or hey, national title preview against Ohio State or Clemson. Let's do this. But I've got some ideas for some content on this podcast because I don't want it to just be dead for months on end because college the college football season is so damn long. Um, I've got some ideas. I need to streamline them. Uh, like I said, this week has been so hectic for me, and I'm sure everybody else because it is Christmas. Um, but as soon as things start to die down and I get a better picture of what we can do, what we can't do, um, don't worry. This podcast will not go away just because football season ends. And no, we're not just going to lean on basketball coverage because I know half of y'all don't care. Yeah, those are the ones that don't go to the games, right? Of course, because the thunder. Like, it's because <laughs> the thunder here, and they took they took all those fans away. That's that why. Must be it. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. And if this is the last time uh, before the season ends, 
Tomorrow, OU takes on LSU at 3. If this is the last time, thank you all so much for jumping on on such short notice with this podcast and all the other podcasts and the Franchise Podcast Network. We really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun doing it with John. been a lot of fun doing it with Rufus. I'm excited about this podcast moving forward, despite the fact that it could very well end the, the season, that is, tomorrow. So, John, thank you so much for this season, um, and I'm looking forward to it. You did a great job, Brady. Appreciate you uh, putting this all together and, and steering the ship every time. Uh, we, we, you were fantastic, and this podcast was a hell of a lot of fun. No doubt about it. But with that, we And will... we'll grow from there. Yes, we will. We will reposition and replenish just like Sam Presti says. <laughs> Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Boomer Sooner, we'll talk to you later. Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. Catch all of John Hoover's work at thefranchiseok.com. Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover. And be sure to catch all of his radio call-ins throughout the week on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast. All in. Inside OU. OKC82. And intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.